you will be hearing a few of the classical peace chants dating from the very ancient Vedic tradition. The first chant prays to the gods, may we hear what is auspicious. May we see with our eyes what is auspicious and with firm-limbed bodies may we celebrate your excellences and so may we spend the lifespan allotted to us by the God. The second chant gives that conception of the reality, the omnipresent reality which is described as that is full and this is full. The full is drawn from the full. Take out the full from the full and the full remains. That's the conception. The logic of the infinite which is quite different from the logic of the finite. And third is a famous hymn to the Guru, to the teacher, the universal teacher, the eternal teacher, from an ancient text of the Tantras, coeval with the Vedas, and the teacher, the Guru, full of the bliss of the reality, giving supreme bliss alone, embodiment of knowledge, beyond the dualities of life, vast like a sky, indicated by expressions like Thou art He, He am I, One, Eternal, Pure, Immutable, a silent witness to all that goes on beyond the becomings bereft of qualities the teacher of truth I salute pure eternal formless without shadow without a taint eternally conscious, full of the bliss of consciousness, that teacher I salute. You hear? 
the Sanskrit originals. Consider it as a special blessing of God that my visit, the third one, to this great country should begin with our meeting here in this prestigious place, Wainwright House, of which we hear so much in our part of the world. I am grateful to the authorities of this institution to have permitted us to meet together today and I am also grateful to our hosts David and Navaja and their wonderful children for all that they have done and are doing in the cause which I represent the evolution of truth consciousness on earth. It is usual before one starts on a joint enterprise like this exploration of knowledge, exploration of consciousness, to say a prayer in Sanskrit also authentic and considered as a chant of peace in which he who teaches, he who communicates, prays on behalf of all. May he protect us. May he enjoy the fruits of our labors along with us. May we exert ourselves. May what we study and read be luminous. May we never hate. Peace, peace, peace. Peace is chanted three times with a purpose. Peace to our mind, individual mind and the universal mind. Peace to the life energies. Peace to the physical at the material body level. Peace is invoked to establish itself at these three levels of man. Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahaviryam Karavavahai Tejasvina Vadhi Tamastu Ma Vidvishavahai Shanti
शांति शांति नवजा माय होस्ट had an interesting story to tell me yesterday as she was placing announcements what are called flyers here of our program in a food store in her neighborhood she got to talk to the lady an old lady who was at the counter she asked what's that she showed it she made a face she said what is this new consciousness what is wrong with the old consciousness anyway she allowed her to display the flyer that set me thinking what is consciousness before we know what is old and what is new we must know what is consciousness very few think about it consciousness is not the mind it is not the heart though both mind and heart are specific articulations organizations of the consciousness consciousness is something a faculty that is self aware something that is aware of itself there is nothing in this universe which is not aware of itself knows that it exists self aware and all aware aware of what is around that is consciousness and this consciousness is spread out in the universe and beyond it is not organized in the same way i think the door can be shut the same wavelength same intensity everywhere there are gradations of consciousness consciousness shall we do away with the mic there is a consciousness in a stone there is a consciousness in a plant in the mic only it is differently organized than the consciousness in me and you but on that account we can't say it has no consciousness we have an ancient perception in india written say about 2000 years ago when the sage the seer says all these things are instinct with an awareness they have their own feelings 
of pain and pleasure. We don't have the instruments to register their vibrations. Recent experiments by scientists have proved that even cabbages have a consciousness of their own. They have joined certain electrodes to cabbages and certain such vegetables in the boiling pan and seen how the needle violently moves from end to end, registering the pains and the screams of the cabbage. So there is a fact, it is a fact, undeniable fact, that there is a consciousness. But how did that consciousness get here is another question. Who brought it here? Who created it? My teacher, Sri Aurobindo, one of the noted philosophers of the evolution of consciousness, who wrote long before Teilhard Chardin and others, he was once asked by a French thinker somewhere in the 30s, if this world is a creation of God, who is an embodiment of bliss and peace and love, how come there is so much of suffering, so much of pain in this creation? He answered that the origin of this creation is on a plane of existence far beyond the human mind. The mind of the intellect, logic, cannot perceive or conceive of that phenomenon. But he said something of the truth can be rendered in a poetic image. Imagine the divine being, God, the Lord, full of knowledge, consciousness, bliss, and all that they connote. He is musing, self existent. There is nothing beyond him. In that moment, a possibility occurs. Can these Verities of truth, knowledge, bliss, awareness exist in conditions which are totally different from what are here. And immediately the possibility translates itself into an actuality. There is a plane of existence within the reach of you and mine, you and me, where what we think immediately materializes itself. We don't have to exert. You will a thing and it becomes a fact. Some of us have this experience in our dreams, giving a prevision 
of possibilities of a different order than what we have on our physical plane. Well, there is a descent of the divine consciousness straight down and down and down till the exact opposite conditions are created. Existence turns into non-existence. Consciousness turns into the inconscience. Bliss turns into non-sentience. There is no feeling. And the divine soul, which has come out in a spirit of adventure, accepting the challenge, is about to lose itself. And it sends a call to the parent divine. In answer, a ray of light comes forth. It is the first action of grace in creation, cherished in all the traditions, ancient traditions of the world. And it is this first action of the divine grace that makes it possible for the involved soul to undertake the return journey. And the involved consciousness slowly begins to emerge and develop itself to reach back that plenary consciousness, the Divine, the Godhead. But what's the gain, you would ask? God is perfect there. What does he gain by undergoing all this travail? To that, Shirovindo answers in his great epic, Savitri, a Godhead greater by a human fate. Having accepted all this trouble, all this struggle, the God who emerges in humanity is infinitely richer more full than the God who starts out on this career. So we have this developing consciousness in every form, in every moment. There is an urge from within, what is called nisus. Continuously, it is like a firefly, goes on urging to grow to come out and we have the various stages of evolution of consciousness. Each stage, the fragmented matter, the state of matter and stone, stone and mineral, the stage of crawling life, the stage of the plant, the animals and at last man. Man is the first creature to be able to look up to the stars and look at his companions in heaven. Till man arrives, the eyes are always downward, earthward. It is only man who looks heavenward. So we are in the midst of a process 
and each stage of evolution is marked by an increased quantum of consciousness organized articulated so man has arrived millions of years ago first looking back we have first the phenomenon of what is called the physical man where man doesn't think he has no emotions of the type we have he is just concerned with physical comforts physical security physical life and he needs physical proof for everything before he can accept the senses are the channels to reach out to the objective world they get back a report and the rudimentary mind acts upon it without thinking this is called the physical sensational existence so the first man the primitive man is a physical man bound on all sides with the physicality of life it is not that the age of the physical man is over the physical man continues even today somewhere in each one of us there is an element of the physical man who is not satisfied unless things are given a physical rendering the world of ideas the satisfaction of emotions without necessarily physical expression they don't appeal to him to him they are hazy theoretical a scientist cast in this mold he will not accept anything even as a hypothesis unless its physical reality can be proved in physical terms and the chief characteristic of the physical man is sloth inertia sleep opposition to movement gradually nature develops the element of vitality the element of movement and we have the vital man the conqueror the aggressor the man who aggrandizes himself at the cost of others to him it is not what is right that matters but what is successful that matters so we have the vital man the man of energy who is bent only on acquiring things spreading himself dominating others this is a worldwide phenomenon a stage when the elite of humanity is largely vital full of vital energies millenniums later nature develops what is called a mental man a mental man lives primarily in the mind he thinks moves in the realm of ideas thoughts concepts and everything else is secondary we are presently in this stage of mental man where the mind rules but the mind is a very limited instrument each mental knowledge 
is turbaned with doubt. What we believe today, we question tomorrow. And so it goes on. There is no certainty to our mental knowledge. What we know to be true, we don't have the willpower to effectuate. There is a fragmentation. The mind being a very limited instrument. There is a certain alienation of man from himself, from nature, from God. And this points to the inadequacy of the mental civilization. It has served, the mind, the human mind has served, but it has chosen to limit itself to a certain intellectualism, logic, which is totally inadequate to meet the demands of life. And this overdevelopment of the mind has brought up a certain imbalance, drying up of emotions, neglect of the physical body, and in the name of specialization, fragmentation of knowledge. Our experts are today narrowing their field of vision. Each one is busy with the infinitesimal portion. And he is a child outside his area. This is a totally different kind of movement than what was prevalent till the last century. To have as wide a knowledge as possible. Today, in the name of specialization, we have fragmented knowledge. And that has led to its reactions. What is called holism. The total man. There is a cry for that. The time spirit demands an integrated approach, a holistic approach, in which man is taken as a whole. And the consciousness that is articulated in man is given room to extend itself, to articulate itself at every level of his existence and recognize that the mind, the intellect, is only one part of the total being of man. And it is here that the boundaries of human consciousness presently reached and perfected are breaking. The frontiers of human knowledge are widening. Psychologists are today speaking of parapsychology. Mathemat mathematicians speak of maths. Something beyond. They can't hold the surge of the evolutionary movement. You must have heard of Teilhard Chardin, the French Jesuit, who in the early years of the century, even as a small boy, he had certain perceptions. When he saw a stone, he would see golden particles within that stone. And this boy would ask himself, is that God? They call God 
So he asked his parents, asked his priests, they would shut him up because it was blasphemy for them to think of God in a stone, according to this Christian theology. But the boy's interest continued. And when he was later ordained as a priest, his interest in the evolution of life, in the reality of things here, continued. He accepted the Bible as a priest, but something in him felt that that could not be the whole truth. He developed interest in paleontology, archaeology, and went to China somewhere in the 20s of the present century, where he conducted a number of researches. And when those research material were coordinated, tabulated, his church superiors refused permission to let them be published because they were totally contrary to the Christian dogma. Then he went to the he came to the United States, he stayed in New York for six years, had his notes, manuscripts given to friends, and after his death, somewhere in the 55, 56, I believe, they are being translated in English. First, they were published in French because he was a Frenchman, and then translated in English. And the work is still on. The basic knowledge that he has gained is this. In this universe, there is a mighty consciousness that is striving to organize itself, formulate itself at higher and higher levels. First, it organizes itself as a lithosphere, the sphere of stone. Later, that consciousness enters into what you may call the biosphere in the form of life energy. Third comes the sphere, the range of the new sphere, the mind. But that's not the end. He says, we are now at an omega point. Omega point is the optimum point at which all the mental energies of man are converging into a point from where the consciousness will take a leap. And at that point, he says, I do not know how, but the world will become one. Man will become one. And man will become something more than a man. Beyond the noosphere is the Christosphere. In the body of Christ, man will become something more than a man. Now, there is a controversy among scholars. What does it mean by Christosphere, the body of Christ? Is it in terms of the Christian dogma that it is beyond earth in some heaven? Then what about non-Christians? Or does it mean the essential Christ, the divinity, which can be here and which has to be here? The divine consciousness embodied on earth. 
I believe there is no firm agreement among scholars of Chardin on this point. But Sri Aurobindo is very explicit, definite. He says the kingdom of God has to be established here on earth. Man is of earth, not of heaven. Heaven we have possessed in our heights, but the earth we have still to possess and equate both earth and heaven. God is has in his heavens, but here he has to manifest. He has a passage, a beautiful passage in his magnum opus, The Life Divine, in which he says, the animal is satisfied with the modicum of its necessities. The gods are content with their splendors in heaven. It is given only to man to be always dissatisfied. He is never satisfied. There is a divine unease always moving forward. For that, he says, man is the greatest of living beings. And this he envisages that we have come to a stage whether we are willing or not, we are under pressures from all sides to break out of our ego walls. The walls erected by our mind enslaved to desire and ego expand ourselves, heighten ourselves, deepen ourselves and find our base in a different and a new consciousness which is not subject to the limitations of our present laboring evolving consciousness. And that is he calls the truth consciousness. Nature always accustoms the mind of man with these new truths, new possibilities for centuries. So long before we were born, we hear, we read in literature, in philosophies, in religions, the ideas of God-man, man acquiring the characteristics of God, man exceeding his limitations. Sometimes these truths and ideas are mistranslated, as in the case of Nietzsche, the German thinker, philosopher, who conceived of the superman purely in terms of a megalomaniac having tremendous power subject to no rule and regulations and dominating over others. The superman of Sri Aurobindo's conception, the superman of Chardin's conception, if I would say, and of further evolving thinkers is one whose base is not force, not knowledge, but love. One who spreads out from the heart, embraces more and more areas of life, identifies himself with everybody. A superman is one who embodies God consciousness. And God consciousness is a universal consciousness. The consciousness of God is not merely there in the transcendent, in the heavens. No. 
It is there spread out in the universe. It is there individualized in each person as the self, the soul. So there are three dimensions of a divine consciousness that is in manifestation. The individual, the universal, and the transcendent. And man will acquire his full stature only when he develops these dimensions of consciousness, opens into these domains of consciousness. Till now, whenever nature was evolving new forms to house new consciousness, consciousness is developing and it needs newer and newer forms suitably built to house and articulate the new degrees of consciousness. Nature experimented different types of animals, the rhinoceros, the mastodon and all these and cast aside certain forms which were found useless, giant bodies, giant brains, but the consciousness was very little. So nature cast them aside, goes on experimenting with new species and new forms. But man is the only creature in the labor of nature who has shown a capacity to hold newer and newer types of consciousness without having to change the form. Holding it, I can be a physical man, I can be a vital man, I can be a mental man, I can be a spiritual man, I can be a God man. What is it? I don't have to change my form. The inner consciousness gets different. So man has come to stay. Man is not going to be cast aside by nature. There is no danger, I assure you, for human species, whatever the hydrogen bombs or the neuron bombs. Man has come to stay. And both God and nature will see that man lives. Only man has to take steps to keep pace with the evolutionary movement. If I choose to stick and stay where I am, refuse to progress, refuse the call of nature in the higher sense, well, I am left behind. But I am not just left behind. Circumstances so shape around me that I am compelled to rethink. Shocks, struggles, sufferings, they whip me into activity. Thinking why? Why should I suffer? What is it? I take steps to differently organize myself. Outer conditions can't be changed very much. But my inner condition, psychological condition can be retuned, differently tuned, so that I face the same circumstances in the tests of life with a different poise. In Indian philosophy, yogic philosophy, they say, one who is involved in the life stresses and wants a relief, wants to get released. They indicate different disciplines to which we will come later. First, he draws himself inwardly from the movement of nature. 
and takes the position of a witness. He just watches what is happening without losing himself in the moments of nature. This witness poise gradually is replaced by a poise of equality. Anything good or bad, success or failure, you accept with a certain equanimity of mind. That these are things that have to be faced. No undue elation, no undue depression, but a tranquility. And this later develops into a certain poise of joy in whatever the conditions, failures or success, good or bad, there is the same capacity to draw the sap of life, to enjoy life from both the positive and the negative. That's the acme of human consciousness. We are reached in what is called a spiritual man. A man who has released the springs of the spirit in himself. He is not poised in the mind, but allows the spirit, the truth of himself, to articulate itself in life. We speak of the spirit. What is spirit? Spirit has to be distinguished from spirits. Spirits are disembodied elements, free from the physical body, which are active in the atmosphere. We call them ghosts, we call them ghouls, and so on. But a spirit is the truth of things. When all form and movement is left on the surface, what remains is an immutable, unchanging, eternal reality. And that is the spirit the truth of things, which makes it possible for other for forms to endure and to live. And that spirit, Sri Aurobindo says, is the soul of matter. Matter is the robe of the spirit. Matter is not opposed to the spirit. It is a wrong approach to make a distinction between this world and that between earth and heaven, between God and this universe. In a splendid aphorism, he says, Reject not this universe, O lover of God, for soon thou shalt find that the universe is the body of thy God. That's the approach. That's the perspective. Life is one, mind is one, the self, the soul is one, the body, the matter is one. And where the truth is one, the mind introduces a duality and division. So we have to go beyond the mind. Please note that I don't say that you have to give up the mind. The mind, the reason, the intellect have to be lifted up, govern ourselves by a higher reason and not a lower reason. A lower reason, a lower intellect, always decides things what is right and wrong, referring to our personal interests. To my desire, 
to my egoistic preferences. But a higher reason decides things according to the intrinsic truth of things. Without referring whether they promote my happiness and pleasure, whether they are harmful to my immediate interests, what is the thing in itself? What is the truth of it? So man has come to a stage, he has passed the kindergarten of reason. Today, everything is pressing him to open to the workings of a new faculty of consciousness that is waiting beyond the lid of the intellect in what is called an Upanishad, a revealed text in India. There is a hymn praying to the sun god, O God, remove that golden lid which veils thy face, so that I may regard you face to face. The reality is veiled by the brightest image of the mind. It is the golden lid. The leaden chains of matter have to be unloosed, have to be loosened. Also the golden chains are no less to be loosened. So man is today on the verge of crossing beyond the mind. Entering what I call the realm of new consciousness. And what is the content of this new consciousness? Unity. Unity with all. Harmony. Knowledge. Unerring knowledge. That knowledge does not admit of doubt. And irresistible power. A power that is not lame as our power is. A knowledge that is powerful. A power that is full of knowledge. And greatest of all, love. Love is not something emotional. True love does not depend upon outer reasons. Physical beauty, material convenience, and whatever human factors. Those factors may excite the meeting, but the love is independent of circumstances. Human love is a parody of true divine love, which is the soul of the new consciousness. One loves, the mother used to say, because one can't help loving. There is one truth. In the, one of the Upanishads, it is said, one loves the wife, not because of, her, of the wife, but because of the self. One loves the son, not because of the son, but because of the self, and so on. That is, the one divine reality, God, who is in me as the self, is also sitting there in your body as the self. And when we meet, that self greets the self here. And we feel a certain affinity a certain attraction, which is immediately translated on the physical and the vital level as human love, attraction. But that human love, 
which is the surface most surface uh, expression of true love is heavily conditioned by circumstances if i love i expect a recognition if i make give an expression of love i expect a reciprocation if that return is not there i resent it showing how skin deep is my love true love is self giving without expectation of even recognition now this divine love it just flows spontaneously like waters of a spring it doesn't care whether it is received whether it is recognized you see that love in the cases of saints who have gone beyond ego and desire and are stationed in a level of consciousness which is in touch with the divine there is a continuous outflow of compassion of sympathy of love now these solitary instances what are called the sentinels of the spirit the saints and men of god they are nature's reminders to us all of the possibilities which are open to all it is not that there will be a few saints and we will continue to worship them no each one of us has the possibility of becoming one of those types and one has to awaken to embody and dynamize this power of love divine love before one can enter into the new consciousness proper love is the soul everything else comes afterwards and for this purpose to enter into the workings of new consciousness to embody the characteristic workings of the new force there is a discipline a multifold discipline that is required into which we will come later consciousness wherever there is consciousness there is a force power consciousness is not an important self awareness it is something that is self dynamic and active power force is consciousness itself as force as power and wherever there is this new consciousness the power of unity the force of love the force of harmony begin to manifest and the future of man the future of this world political world points only to that that our the solutions of our problems innumerable as they are will come and can come only when we grow into the new consciousness that is waiting at our doors number of thinkers advanced mind of humanity representing the advanced mind of humanity they have opened to this truth expressed it in their writings organized it in their lives and are taking steps to draw like minded people 
who accept this approach, who feel the need for this approach. And we have what are called number of new age experiments, new age communities. But they all proceed from the level of the mind. And to that extent, they are limited by the vision of the mind. At times it is religious, limited by the religious formations. At times it is economic, at times it is political. But they all are thinking of one world, one humanity, but based on their terms. A thinker in Russia or China can think of nothing else except finding the solution to the problems of humanity on the basis of communism. Elsewhere they will speak of socialism, elsewhere they will speak of a, a religious revival, but all these are old panaceas which have been tried and found wanting. Nature experiments, man experiments, and each one has been exposed to be inadequate. A state of things, a state of consciousness, which includes all the best that has evolved, but goes beyond. That's the call. The call is for an integrated man, a whole man, but a whole man in a whole society. But they have also built and perfected a practical discipline to work out this scheme in each individual life. And that can be done not on a hilltop, not in a monastery, not in an ashram, but where you are, New York, in London, in Chicago, wherever you are, you have to work it out. Nature has placed you, God has placed you in circumstances which are most suited to your personal evolution. And it is there that you start from where you are. So this is spiritual life brought to the door of the common man. Each one has to start where he is. This is called the integral discipline, integral perfection, achieved by an integral yoga. Yoga is only a name for yoga literally means union. Union with what? Not with something there, but with the reality here. Union with your own truth and the means, the techniques that lead to that union, that is called yoga. All the various disciplines like the postures, asanas, breathings, knowledge, philosophies, devotion, all these are elements, necessary elements in building that in path to integral perfection, perfection of man in a perfect society. And that's what the new consciousness or the new age means. I think we can continue it after our break, lunch break. But now I would like to invite questions on what we have discussed. The practical side, how we are to do it, what we are expected to do it, I will take up in the next session. 
but now i would like you to ask me questions and let us have a dialogue because there are so many conceptions and misconceptions particularly in the west regarding what is yoga what is religion what is spirituality what is god what is mind what is tantra these are all flooded with misconceptions and every time i come to the west these are the same questions asked by different people so before we go further i would like to clear the ground and you should feel free to ask me any question thank you the mic could be lower david okay that fear is um something that you are in to some uh genuine union of of uh, It is an occult law that, as the truth or new truths approach their hour of manifestation, all that opposes the rule of that truth comes up like poison and tries to prevent. If it can't prevent, to delay. the hour of revelation and ever since this worldwide movement particularly after the second world war has started function has started gathering force this all the movements of ignorance falsehood cruelty all the undivine movements are come up exposing the dregs of the human cup in order to be seen and thrown out the lords of falsehood ignorance the antichrist antichrist the anti god he is doing his best to hold man in his rule and not allow him to pass into the domain of god that man is ready to take the leap is shown by the worldwide awakening but that the atavistic forces the antichrist he is trying to hold man by spreading the poison preventing it that is the other side each proves the occult truth that before the dawn is to break the night is the darkest this is not only in the west but all over the world this unrest this disorder confusion this is prevalent 
but it is a part of the game and there are signs that it will be contained after all true progress is made only by a minority thereafter it spreads the bulk of the humankind is struggling they will be led by an awakened minority these are challenges tests of our sincerity whether we are going to give up the thing as insoluble and leave the field clear to the adversary or we take up the gauntlet face the challenge in our individual lives in our collective lives and work for truth And I, I like to ask, what is the relationship between soul and spirit or the difference? The spirit, which is another name for consciousness, is prior. It organizes itself in the form of matter. Consciousness, congealed, concretized, is matter. Do I make myself clear? Yes. yes spirit solidified in physical terms that is matter yes soul is a concentration of consciousness in a body there is a general pervasion of consciousness but here the soul is a particular concentration in a more intense degree so that it can guide the rest it can lead the rest so the divine divinity functions through this concentration there may be electricity everywhere but there are certain concentrated points they are the soul focusing points that is the soul it is a spark of god yes and the general thing is a pervasion of god yes Yes please. My question was do you foresee a, a new world order after the anti-revolutionary step is made whereby uh divisions arbitrary divisions such as boundaries between countries and race and religions will dissolve and they'll be kind of It will be gradual but it is inevitable. Everybody understand that question you just asked. I'm not sure the people in the back could hear. Uh, yes, it is. It is good, sir. And I shall repeat the question. I will repeat any question, and uh, but that one could be phrased again. Louder, I guess. My question is: Do you foresee a new world order after this evolutionary step is taken, whereby? the divisions between peoples will dissolve such as boundaries countries uh, races religions will merge into one you perceive a new world order in which divisions will be dissolved and all will be one definitely so but there can't be in the nature of things a calendar date that on certain such a date the new step has been taken in evolution it is being taken now it is a step 
that is being slowly built in the minds and hearts of men. The work in the United Nations, particularly the 30 or 35 specialized agencies, in building and promoting a global outlook, a global approach, a global mind. Now, this is part of the building of the new age. So, as the new consciousness builds itself and new forms come into existence, individual and collective, as the new age spreads its wings, unity will be an established fact. Already behind the surface, we are on the move towards one world, one race. It is only in political and military affairs that there is still the ego resistance. Otherwise, there is a recognition. Even the countries which don't share their affluence with the what are called underdeveloped countries, they recognize the need. They know it is to be done. Formerly, 50 years ago, they would not recognize that. They would say, we are meant to rule and they are meant to serve. Today, there is a recognition. They talk of human rights. Whatever the duplicity of some in the movement, the fact is recognized. Human equality, human claims, commonwealth. So, despite all the blunders and the shortcomings and the short sights of the political leadership of humanity, the world is steadily moving. And if I may venture a prediction, I agree with the number of occultists and prophets who say that the new age will start around about 2000 AD, by which time most of the hypocrisies of the present human leadership will have been exposed and a certain amity, a certain family feeling will start developing and the divisions will go. What is one can't be divided forever. Truth of life, truth of form, truth of consciousness, all these will be recognized. Only it is the world is not going to be a unitary state in which there will be one government and everybody will be a department or a province. No. It will be a kind of federation of the world's peoples. Each people, each society having its own characteristic genius in expression, but all joining together for the common weal. It is one of the fundamental requirements of the new age that the present political and economic religious and other divisions must go and they will go. I agree wholeheartedly with the description of a surging uh, consciousness. Do you think it's possible that during this evolutionary period of the next hundred years or so that um, technology may have some surprises for us, uh, either by way of uh, biochemically freeing parts of the brain that are not now uh, easily accessible to perhaps uh, alien species, to artificial intelligence, to computers, or you know, any number of uh, 
areas that we just begin to see glimmerings of advance today. In this process of evolution, real technology has some surprises for us, and may there not be something in the form of, uh, of uh, alien visitors that would have a part in the evolutionary process. I do envisage that technology will promote the manifestation of this new consciousness. Already, technology has brought the world together, has shown the way to free man from drudgery, has established certain truths which were not accepted before. It is breaking down the limits of the mental frontiers. And we do expect technology being a development of human consciousness to play a leading part in reaching the benefits of this consciousness to the millions and millions who have not seen a book, who don't have a roof over their heads in our part of the country. We can never expect them to see a book and be taught in a school. It is things like television and other modes developed by technology that are to uplift and elevate their existence. And technology, spirit, material technology, will have as many surprises as spiritual technology. As far as these UFO and visitors from other planets, well, sir, there is a continuous interchange or a contact between the different planes of existence. But if you ask me, will there be visitors from the moon? Will there be visitors from uh, the Jupiter and all that? The spiritual perception, the spiritual perception is that there is no evolving life of our kind on the other planets. Evolving life is only on earth. All those have been given up by nature as unsuitable for the evolution of life. So, when my teacher, the mother, who was a great occultist, was asked, what's the truth of all these newspaper reports of the flying saucers, the UFOs and all that? She said, that there is an interchange from other planes of existence, not from the planets, from the other planes of existence to the earth. And this constant interchange may have a visual appearance at times of strange, unknown physical appearances, but they disappear. Once the ingressions stop, the, the outer forms also stop. The rest is all fiction, entertaining fiction, but uh, I don't think we are going to be either invaded or helped by denizens of other planets. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
see how um, an adult can maintain this illness without getting some adult love biometer. He said that the statements are physical man, vital man, and mental man. It seems to me that uh, what might imply that how the fullness is maintained in adults is that God has maintained fullness. But doesn't that sort of deny um, this evolution that we've gone through, the physical, the vital, and so on? That in effect, isn't it appropriate for a person to expect that the fullness will in fact be maintained <coughs> by uh, other human beings? Uh, <laughs> 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 How can fullness really remain without being completed given some of the aspects of evolution and the experiences of human life? What has happened so far? The modalities of the functioning of consciousness and the modes of consciousness cannot determine the further types of functioning that are in the making. What you said is perfectly true. Action, reaction, everything is there. There is a limit. So far, nature has developed on those, in those modes. But today, in the transition to the spiritual realm, it is seen and experienced that there is a limit to this spontaneous love imposed by external factors only when we stand on a human poise. If we break through and go to a deeper level of our being, which is not influenced by human considerations, you will find that there is an unstopping love, whatever the outer reactions of other people. That is not affected. So the trick is to shift the center of consciousness from the surface being to something deeper where things, you get a taste that the reality is not only eternal but infinite. After all, it is the divine qualities, verities of infinity, eternity that are reflected in the human conceptions of space and time. There is a possibility a way of getting beyond human space and time. Because space and time relate to that plane of existence where they exist. My mental space, my mental time is different from the physical space and time. So, for love, there are no limits. It is eternal, it is infinite, because it is the pure form of God. And as long as you are on the human level, hold yourself at a human poise, human reactions, 
once you step in you are not touched or influenced by human reactions the technique is to shift your base inwards if you shift it upwards you become indifferent but if you shift it inwards you are one with the world so that will come later in the afternoon yes Yes. Anticipated the kingdom of God coming to the earth. No, no, madam. I, I said the scholars are divided. He says the solution will be in the body of Christ, in Christosphere. So normally people understand it Christosphere. It is beyond the earth, in some heaven, when we say it in the Bible, paradise or whatever it is. but modern thinkers say he did not mean it he meant it the christosphere is here on earth so i am not a particular student of shardain but i have just put before you the differences of opinion among his scholars i do not know but i personally subscribe to the perception that the glory of god is to be manifested here on earth and man has to be divinized here human nature has to be converted into a divine nature here despite all the religious dogmas of different religions we will come to it the difference between religion and spirituality their conceptions and limitations we'll come to it in the later but uh, sri aurobindo whose tradition i follow says it is to be here on earth earth is the chosen field for manifestation of god yes can you tell us the right and the family you know that's the problem that we then that we feel of the family yeah it is a very leading question madam the world will be your family your family will not be limited to those who are related to you by blood ties but the whole world will be your family so an impersonal love which are rightly phrased will not be personal it will flow and uh, it will not be confined to those who are related to you by flesh family as we know it will not survive in the new age yes thought that it was a part of the paradox of being human that we grow and so how will we be when we get to this 
um, transcendent place. Yes, yes. Because of our growth, uh, when we get to that ultimate place, or be growing and therefore no longer human. No, humanity will acquire its full meaning, will be full-blooded when spirituality infuses our consciousness. At present, what what is called the religion of humanity is a mental concept. When it comes to practice. It breaks down. But in the new consciousness or the truth consciousness or the universal consciousness, one will always have a feeling of being one with humanity. But you will not be limited by humanity. You will have an identity with orders of life which are below humanity as also above humanity. But man's concern will be humanity, always, as long as he is in human form. Is non-attachment to goods necessary for a truly spiritual life? Non-attachment, but not contempt or looking down on material things is absolutely necessary to enlarge oneself and use things in the right spirit. As long as there is this sense of possession, involvement in things, we limit ourselves. We don't derive the full joy that we are intended to do. We are not asked to reject things, but to use things in the right way without being attached without being enslaved by them. Yes? Say that uh, the fulfillment, the evolution will occur on Earth. Uh, do you mean that uh, all humanity in a general consciousness form or this individual consciousness? Because um, obviously some of us will die before we have reached that state. <laughs> I heard you say that evolution occurs on Earth. Do you mean that this takes place individually or collectively? Because certainly some of us will die before it's completed. Evolution has its high points in the individual. A number of like-minded individuals, whatever, wherever they are situated, they constitute the progressive collectivity. But the key is in the individual. What each individual contributes is not lost when he dies. That is taken up in the sum total of the general evolutionary movement. A thinker, he gives his thoughts. He contributes to the elevation of the human mind. He dies. But his thoughts continue. Similarly, the state of consciousness that you and I build in our life, it is, not, it is never lost to humanity. It is absorbed in the general movement. And the whole of humanity as such will never be 
transformed or divinized. There will always be levels of gradation of evolution. Even as today, man has reached a high degree of mental development, mental culture, fineness. But there are gradations of humanity which are yet to be touched by mental enlightenment. So, a new grade will be added. A new step in the ladder will be added of an elite or an advanced section of humanity which function from a spiritual level and not from the mental level. Doesn't have to send their consciousness. And further after that, those who reincarnate do not do so um, on earth, because the earth will be at a certain level of consciousness. No one therefore reincarnate on other planets and other solar systems who will be in the level of consciousness of solar energy. I've heard that evolution is to reach its fulfillment here on Earth and that uh, future incarnations would take place elsewhere. How do you feel about that? When and as the new consciousness, what I call the Gnostic consciousness or the truth consciousness, begins to manifest and organize itself on Earth, it is only those who have equipped themselves, prepared themselves by breaking their limitations of ego and division, who will benefit the most. The benefit to the others will be indirect. So it will not, it is not that everybody will share in the direct effects of the manifestation are beyond a certain minority of people who are awake and who have worked, who done the homework and who can absorb the new vibrations, the rest will have an indirect elevation of their consciousness. Now these people, fortunate few who embody that new consciousness, when they leave the body, it is in the cosmic intention that they come back and work for the spread of that consciousness, make others fit. They will not be taken by the Supreme Creator to some other planets. No, the field is here. Every spiritually liberated man who accepts this world has to come back to this world till the last man is saved till the last man is uplifted. So each person will have to come. And the legend of Buddha, you must have known that Gautam Buddha, he realized that state of Nirvana. Nirvana is a state of utter peace, utter silence. When he was about to step into the land of Nirvana, he looks behind sees the human suffering and he takes a vow never to step into that land till there is one man left who is still suffering. 
that has been the ideal of spiritual activists. Those who seek to save their souls, they cancel themselves from the list of existence and they disappear into the immutable. That is another matter. But those who are awake and want to participate in the divine manifestation, in building the glory of God on earth, there is no end to their labors. They have to come again and again and work. Yes. Why not? No, 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 no. He did not believe in moksha in that sense. So, we have enough evidence to the fact that Sri Aurobindo and those spiritual workers like him, they are still functioning in the earth atmosphere, helping humanity. And when the prop propitious time is ready, they will take birth on earth and participate in the movement directly. Traditional religions uh, usually preach something word of the hell or negative aspect. You see that. What do you think about the customary preaching of traditional religions about hell or a negative aspect? Almost, as you say, sir, almost all religions have played this hoax on man, threatening him with the dire penalties of hell, bribing him with luscious fruits of heaven. But I assure you that in the cosmic map there are no geographical locations of hell and heaven. Hell and heaven are psychological conditions created by each man and when I mean man, I mean woman, each person and each person carries his own hell and heaven with himself. When he sheds his body, what happens? I will come to that later in the afternoon. He, that psychological condition continues in a magnified form. Bereft of the physical body, things assume a different form. And if a person is normally accustomed to look at the bright side of things, does good things, makes people happy, well, he lives in heaven and all those conditions are idealized around him for a while. If he is depressed, leads a wicked life, harms others, glories in violence, he will be surrounded by an enlarged edition of that psychological state and that is what we call hell. So each person carries that till those images spend themselves out. Man is a prisoner of his own heaven and hell. It has nothing to do with God or Savior or anything. It is a psychological condition. And God does not punish. God does not reward in that way. It is man who punishes himself. Yes, sir. Is emerging from the state of hell in man, and if that's true, 
What's your concept of uh, our creation? In a sense, yes. Because this evolution of the earth is proceeding from a state of ignorance, complete ignorance, to a state of plenary knowledge. This ignorance is the original sin. This ignorance is hell. And we are emerging from that state of darkness, from that state of uh, ignorance, limitation, bondage, to a liberation into a state of knowledge, state of bliss. And our conception of uh, evolution is, it is a movement of the universe to liberate itself from the hold of ignorance into plenary knowledge and splendor which we attribute to God. I think part of your question implies was there some kind of a fall of a state of bliss, an early state of bliss? No. It is the fall, if at all, is a deviation from the sense of unity to a sense of division. It is a purely a philosophical conception that the original divine soul which came down, it lost its sense of unity with the divine. And that became the seed of ignorance. That in that sense it can be a fall. I would say it was a departure, deviation. We are recovering slowly our sense of unity with God, with everything. But it, there is no sin characterized, characterizing the fall. Sin is an ethical conception which arises as human mind progresses from animality towards divinity. We have one more question. Yes, yeah. I was uh, gesturing, motioning to the man in the back about our lunch and all that. Please say the question again, please. There's been a lot of talks and books written about people receiving knowledge and information uh, from outer uh, levels. And I'd like to know what you think. What do you think about people who receive messages from beyond this physical order? It is a fact and not a fact. There are levels of existence beyond our physical world where there are many spirits. Spirits are unembodied entities, what they call the gnomes, the elves and the dwarfs. And also they belong, they are original inhabitants of those planes. They have their own part to play in the cosmic movement, universal movement. But there are certain spirit, disembodied spirits, that is men or women who have died. Their spirits are active there and they want to interfere with the lives of men on earth. Some are benevolent spirits, some are malevolent spirits. 
but they are not divine they are of our level only without the load of the physical body and through mediums through automatic writing and some such thing they dictate messages not all of which are true the bulk of which are not true they are their own imaginations own perversions own deviations and deformations a few are able to throw certain truths but they are so much clothed with non truths that it becomes dangerous to follow these messages though as i said there are cases the genuine guidance the genuine guides genuine benevolent spirits which have love for humanity and they put across helpful messages but by and large it is a very risky business to believe in everything that is so transmitted